Episode 116, Hooking Up Healthcare Innovators and Healthcare Customers. Today, I speak with Lawrence Stunts from the Massachusetts eHealth Institute. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Almost everybody these days is clued into the healthcare innovation catch-22. That is, no one will try or buy a healthcare innovation until it's proven. But you can't prove a healthcare innovation unless somebody tries it and buys it. Today, I speak with Lawrence Stunts, who is the director over at the Massachusetts eHealth Institute. And we talk about the eHealth Institute's work to foster collaboration and smooth out this unfortunate wrinkle. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Lawrence. Oh, thanks. Pleasure to be here this afternoon. Massachusetts eHealth Institute. Do you want to just give a little... Yeah, sure. So we are a state agency. In 2008, as part of Massachusetts' ongoing experiments in health reform, the Mass eHealth Institute, or MEHI as we often call it, was created at the Mass Tech Collaborative and charged with a series of things. But at the highest level, we are here to help support both the adoption of electronic health records here in the state, as well as the sharing of health information, and more sort of generally driving innovation in the use of technology and trying to help all the healthcare providers and payers and life sciences companies and consumers take advantage of innovation in technology and leveraging that technology to help try and control cost and improve the overall quality of the healthcare delivered here in the state. Speaking of driving innovation, let's just say I am a healthcare entrepreneur and I have a really great innovation in the state of Massachusetts. What do I do? How can I take advantage of what the Mass eHealth Institute has on offer? Yeah, I think in general, the first thing that somebody would want to do as a as an entrepreneur in this space is really just sort of think through a couple of key issues. You have to know whose problem you're solving. Like am I solving a problem that clinicians have, that health plans have, that consumers have related to health. So you have firmly fixed in your head what problems am I solving? And then equally important because this is very often in healthcare not the same constituency, you have to know who is going to most benefit from that and and ultimately who will pay for that innovation. For instance, in many cases, if we're improving the quality of healthcare delivered and reducing the overall cost of delivering care, keeping somebody healthy, ultimately with our system today under a fee-for-service model, the ultimate beneficiary is the health plan or possibly the the insurer who is providing health insurance coverage. So you have to keep in your mind who's going to benefit, who's going to leverage your innovation, also who's going to benefit from a healthcare cost perspective. Keeping all those in mind, there's a bunch of ways to 
access that the eHealth Institute is working to help support innovators like uh, like you, <laughs> Stacey. The, you know, we've started and helped launch in collaboration with the private sector and some of the healthcare institutions here. We've an accelerator here in Massachusetts called Pulse at Mass Challenge, which is based here in Boston and for later stage companies, for companies who have a product, who have a general idea of who they're going to benefit. Uh, and we're bringing those companies together with strategic partners that can help advance the goals of the product, either get them to clinical validation or provide access to capital or just provide access to mentoring. One of the key things that I, that I think early stage companies need is access to those experienced hands who can help them think through the problems that they're going to have, whether those are business problems or whether they are uh, scaling problems, like how do I find new customers for my innovation, or they are talent problems, how do I find the right tech lead for this, or how do I find the right clinical lead for this. One of the things that Pulse does is help link people up to strategic partners as well as mentors. And I think across the country, I saw a California Healthcare Foundation report that said there were over 100 digital health accelerators across the country. So, you know, this isn't unique to Massachusetts, although we do have a specific focus on accelerating digital health companies here. I'm assuming that the mentors that you're talking about are health systems or providers or payers, people in the marketplace who are skulking about looking to solve the things that are keeping them up at night. What kinds of things do you see that the marketplace is crying out for? What's yeah. the white space? Academic medical centers or large hospitals are looking for solutions that solve some of their value-based payment needs. So they're looking for things like solutions to readmission problems or solutions that will help them get a handle on the health of their population and try to identify and engage with consumers to make sure that they're getting the care they need when they need it not getting too much care or, and not missing out on the folks who should be getting follow-up or need to, as they're being transferred from a hospital out into the community, getting them the support and the integration with their community providers. So those are the sorts of things that hospitals are looking for. There are also folks on, for instance, the medical device side who are looking for analytic support. We're seeing a lot more uh, trend towards internet-connected medical devices. You know, where these medical devices are starting to aggregate data that come from thousands of different instances of the device and are aggregating data into a large database. And the device companies are starting to apply analytics to that so that you can improve both the quality of the diagnostic at the medical device, as well as start to identify trends and maybe even start to identify areas for innovation in, in those areas. We're also seeing some interesting parties uh, start to participate, like analog devices and Bose, uh, the headphone folks, are strategic partners in the Pulse Accelerator because what they're looking at is a long-term large market for, for their sensors, in the case of analog devices, or for their products to get into healthcare in the case of Bose. So for instance, Bose is thinking about the speaker systems that they deploy around people's houses, you know, as a physical location that they could start to deploy technology in that would allow them to, for instance, monitor activity at a person. So, for instance, you know, somebody who's elderly and moves around their house and is living at home, you may be able to build in a capacity to 
have some early warning if the person falls down and hasn't gotten up or hasn't moved in a long time. So there's different areas. I think one of the foci of here in Massachusetts is that we're seeing a lot of is in healthy aging. You know, we really have a population who is getting older. This is true across the United States as well as across the developed world where it is imperative that the state be able to support folks living at home longer. It's orders of magnitude less expensive for the individual as well as for their family and for the ultimately for the state if somebody is living at home into their you know golden years, as they say, rather than moving into a full-time facility like a nursing facility or, or assisted living. And technology is one way to help support that. So we're really starting to see a huge interest in technology that will support healthy aging. Which begs the gigantic question of where does healthcare end and just life begin or a consumer product begin? You know, for example, there's been any number of studies which show that most accidents requiring hospitalization in older individuals happen in the bathroom. And a lot of it has to do with like the lip in the shower. So maybe some of the best preventative care is simply removing the thing that everybody falls over and winds up in the hospital with. But is that something which should be legitimately considered part of our healthcare system? Or is that simply... (laughs) <laughs> you know, like yeah, it, no. So, so I think I, I think it's a really good point. I think one, there's more and more research that's showing that there's only so much that one can do with the episodic healthcare delivery system that built up here in Massachusetts, in, not in Massachusetts, in the United States, where we deliver healthcare based on you know some acute, in general, some acute condition. You walk into the doctor's office and you say, "Fix this issue that I've got going on," and what we're starting to see is that there's a huge amount of that of the healthcare cost, the ultimate healthcare cost of going to the doctor and getting a surgical procedure or ongoing maintenance medications. All of that is ultimately controlled by a lot of, or at least in, heavily influenced by, the social determinants of health. There are lots of outside factors that are affecting our healthcare. You know, other factors that haven't traditionally been part of our healthcare system and healthcare delivery system, but really are driving healthcare costs. And we can and should be spending a lot of time understanding that. That's an area for healthcare innovation, frankly. And one of the one of the areas of interest for us is trying to open up healthcare data sets that may not be traditionally understood as healthcare, but combining data that describe public health data or other types of social and uh, welfare data and combining that with healthcare delivery data to try to understand, all right, what really will influence long-term the overall quality of life for these people. And I could see that as an innovator, this would be quite the conundrum because let's just dialing back to what you said earlier, providers are very interested in, for example, reducing readmissions. Yeah. But here's the thing. In order to reduce readmissions, somebody has to be in agreement on what is causing the readmission to begin with. Yeah. You know, So I've talked to people who suggest that people with language barriers, for example, are yeah. m- much more likely to be readmitted. You talk to somebody else who says it's patient education. You talk to somebody else who says it's like insert any one of a hundred 
possible answers here, some of them disease-related, some of them have nothing to do with clinical care. So if I'm an innovator, what's your advice? Because the product that winds up getting developed, the success of that product is going to be determined in a huge way by how well I solve somebody's problem. But there's any number of interpretations to what the root cause is of even something that might seem to be as defined as readmissions. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, all the examples you cited of possible causes of readmission, I'm sure are causes for a subset of readmission. So I guess my advice for innovators would be to be very flexible in your ideas and to test, be constantly testing your ideas and challenging your assumptions about the root causes that you are addressing. I think as well, what one of the things that I've seen that has been most successful is companies who walk into these problems recognizing that it's very likely not to be just solely a, a technology solution to a problem, but there's some sort of combination of technology solution with human services. Like technology can do a lot and it's great. You can aggregate lots of people together, lots of information together, but people are very flexible. And so if you have, as an example, a company here in, in Massachusetts called Wellist, what they've done is they're helping people as they're discharged get all the community supports that that individual person needs. So they've developed a huge database of the community resources that might be available, whether that's you know walking programs for somebody who has is being discharged with a, after having gotten a knee replacement or something like that, or other types of programs that are available in the community. So they've got technology that helps find that. But they also have people who are you know, talking to the person who's being discharged, making sure that they understand all of their discharge instructions that has developed relationships with uh, the community, you know, that it really benefits the innovator to be thinking about this as not just a technology problem or not just a services problem, but are there ways to combine that to be flexible, to always be questioning what your, you know, your assumptions about the, the root cause of the problem and focusing in on things that really make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, it just sounds like step one, it, yeah. it comes way before developing any solution. It's understanding exactly and specifically what most people who are going to be willing to pay for whatever it is, yeah. believe the problem to be and at what yeah. scale. Yeah, I think it's, but you know, you have to come up with a theory, right? And then you have to test that theory. You know, you shouldn't assume you know what uh, what's going on. This is This is very complicated. And I think it's really important, too, for innovators to have a partner, provider partner who recognizes that, particularly early on, who recognizes that this is likely to be a journey, that, you know, the, the best sites for piloting a product or getting a, you know, a first iteration of a product. And it never, you know, sort of pilot sometimes is regarded as a, as a dirty word because pilots are sometimes perceived as not going anywhere. Uh, so, you know, your first release, you want a partner who's really interested in working with you as the innovator to test your idea, to prove it out, and who a partner is willing to iterate with you and help you sort of grow this company. One of the things that's pretty well established at this juncture that many entrepreneurs seem to not quite understand is how much time it takes an organization to be that mentor or be that partner. 
what's your secret sauce there <laughs> that you've got going on? At? <laughs> I think it's I think it's just clarity, and, and this is this is one of the challenges that we struggle with, and and are designing our programs to support innovation programs because you're absolutely right that it costs real time, real money, and real energy at the location who is testing out an innovative program, and some organizations are lucky enough to have been substantially resourced and have like an innovation arm, uh, like at Mass General and Brigham and Women's and Children's Hospital Boston. But those institutions, you really have to be in the right situation. And then there's lots of places where it'd be really interesting to to test things out. I mentioned healthy aging. You know, out in our communities across the state, there are thousands of people who are working to support elders at home, and but they are significantly under-resourced and testing out technology innovations in those areas. It takes time, uh, takes energy, takes money. So one of the things that we're trying to do is both bring willing partners, but also bring an understanding that it really does cost the host organization real money to bring these innovations to light and to test them out. We're also trying to make it easier for the host organization to figure out which ones they want to spend their energy on, their calories on. And how are you doing that? Yeah. So one of the things that we're trying to do is come up with checklists to make sure that uh, companies have a realistic view of their own maturity level and they have a realistic view of what it will take to engage with a provider organization. You know, I hear from uh, CIOs of, of hospitals all the time that if they wanted to, they could spend all day talking to innovators who have the greatest idea since sliced bread. So what we're working with them on is, are there ways for innovators to create profiles that will allow the innovator to understand sort of what it will really take to get into, uh, you know, to work with, say, a community hospital? that the community hospital will understand really what the stage is that the company is at. So, for instance, uh, we're uh, starting to build out checklists of, say, security requirements. We need innovators to know, are they ready, willing, and able to sign a HIPAA business associate agreement and showing them samples of those that really you know, show what it what that means. Are is the innovator ready, willing, and able to work with an institutional review board to test out their idea? Do, have they had any experience working with folks? Have they had independent audit of their security infrastructure, particularly if they're a cloud-based platform? All of these are questions that a CIO like are sort of gating questions that if an innovator has not you know, doesn't have an opinion on and, you know, is able to satisfy the chief security information officer or the chief information officer of a hospital, they're not going to get anywhere. What we want to avoid is a situation where innovators are spending a lot of time talking with, say, a clinician who's really excited about their solution and then running into a wall and being delayed several months because they didn't understand what it would really take to get something uh, tested out and and, uh, deployed at an institution. It's almost like you're coming up with a template for a resume. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Like a corporate resume. You know, you got to have your certifications, you got to have your uh, skills, you know. Yeah, I think that's a a fair point. And I, I think what we've heard from the companies is, yeah, they would really like to know, you know, what is it going to take to sign a data use agreement with, say, one of these large institutions? You know, the here in Massachusetts, we're lucky enough that we've been at this electronic health record 
you know, slog for, for several decades. And at this point, every single hospital in the Commonwealth has an electronic health record. About 90 to 95% of physicians are using it. 75% of skilled nursing facilities are using electronic health records. So we're, we've gotten the data to be digital, which is a great resource. And now it's a time to start trying to drive innovation. And we need to have consistent ways of opening up that data in a safe way that protects the privacy of the individuals, that protects the intellectual property of the of the hospitals, also of the innovator. So, yeah, we're trying to come up with those templates. I like your idea of, uh, you know, of a corporate resume template, because I think that that's now the customers will have a capacity to, you know, look at three or four different innovations and see all the same type of information in the same spot. And it's much easier to compare things. From the innovator standpoint, I mean, nothing for nothing, but same problems apply. I can be ready, willing and able to sign one providers, for example, you know, security clearance documentation, and I could retool my entire organization to be compatible (laughs) with that particular organization. And then I go down the street and somebody else has a whole different idea of what secure looks like. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we want to get out of this as well is a consistent agreement so that, for instance, if you were to, you know, this would this would be Nirvana. Right. But and we're not there yet. But if you walk into Partners Healthcare, which is Mass General and the Brigham, and they have one agreement. And if you walk down, you know, so, you know, ahead of time what you're going to need to sign. If you walk down the street to Children's or to Beth Israel or to Dana-Farber or to any of the you know dozens of really cutting-edge institutions here in the state, could be just one basic agreement with maybe minor tweaks. And this is something that we've done historically in different areas, something that I've done with like the New England Health Exchange Network just earlier in my career. And so it's it's really, it makes a huge difference. To- if I'm an innovator, what does success look like these days? When can I say that I have a proven model and I'm ready to go? I think if you've got customers who are willing to tout your benefits, I I think that's success. I think where innovators should be aiming for is supporting providers and groups into the future. So, you know, we're in this huge movement towards either value-based care or accountable care, uh, any of those, that terminology. But I think if a innovator can plug themselves into that model, which at its, at its root, it's providers taking on risk and getting into sort of gain sharing of uh, the benefit that they're providing back to either in terms of quality or in terms of the overall cost of care. And so I think innovators who are able to plug into that can find success by, in certain cases, by sharing in the risk, in sharing in the gains, and I think can be really successful as long as they're able to really plug into those models and are finding customers who are really benefiting from their solutions. And if you were going to give some advice to an innovator, because it sounds like at the heart of this whole thing is finding a really, really good problem, you mm-hmm. know, like a really good problem that enough people agree is actually a root cause. What's your advice for how to uncover that gem? You know, should I be reading JAMA every month <laughs> or, you know, like? Yeah. Um, and, and this is really, you know, because there are 
there are lots of problems that nobody will pay to have solved, right? You know, there. Um, what you really want is is a problem that uh, people will pay to solve. And we're actually trying to to solve this with a series of what we're calling reverse pitches. Basically, we are getting through Pulse and through other venues. We're asking organizations and like the state office of health and human services to define what are your key problems. I think, you know, that can be done either formally or, you know, through calls for uh, solutions uh, like we're doing with Pulse. It can be done informally as part of meetups. I think entrepreneurs and innovators should be participating in those sorts of activities and and really going in and talking to the, their customers. Uh, here in Massachusetts, we've got an organization called the Health Policy Commission, who are a state agency charged with identifying, uh, you know, tracking the cost growth, healthcare cost growth, and identifying and proposing policies that will help limit overall cost growth. And some of the things that they are identifying as key issues turn into problems that people will pay for. So for instance, here in Massachusetts, we have in terms of like post-rehab, post-surgery, we send more people to rehab facilities than almost any place else in the country. That translates into a key problem for health and human services, right? Because they support Medicaid and the, the Mass Health Program, which is the Medicaid program here. And so they're looking for solutions to help send fewer people, or at least the people who don't need skilled rehab or facility-based rehab, send them home and get them the appropriate supports. I think there are there are lots of places to look for these problems that people will solve. We're trying to do it formally with our reverse pitches, but there are other things like I just mentioned, like the cost report, you know, the cost trends report that the Health Policy Commission is putting out here. I'm sure there are other key priorities that across the country, almost every health and human services secretary is, has identified key challenges that they're looking for as well. Where can people learn more about the work that you are doing with the Massachusetts Health Institute? There are two things. I, I think specifically around innovation, folks should check out uh, massdigitalhealth.org, which is the website that we've put together to bring together the community of innovators. It, there are things there like resources for innovators. Our checklists will all be posted there. Our you know, sort of customer openness stuff. People can register to participate in the cluster here. There's a directory of every company that we know about here in Massachusetts on that uh, website that anybody can download. So if you're an innovator, please register yourself. If you're just interested in what the ecosystem looks like here. Feel free to download that. And then there's at mehi, mehi.masstech.org, there is information about Mihai's other programs and our activity to support uh, electronic health record adoption in behavioral health and post-acute care worlds, some of our innovation grants that are going on in uh, in communities across the, the Commonwealth, what we call our Connected Communities Implementation Grants, and some of our other activity. I thank you so much for being on the program today. Sure, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, 
the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.